When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show, with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. Beam me up, Dave. I'm taking a ride on the transfer portal. <laughs> All right. And also with Boomer. Well, I know everyone's saying to put your stock in Nebraska ball now. I just like to say I never even sold my bonds from the 2014 tournament run, so I'm still drawing interest. <laughs> it's a long-term investment, Boomer. That's what I'm talking about. It is, about. yeah, long-term. That's that's the best way to approach it. Absolutely. Well, uh, we don't have Mac with us uh, this week. Uh, we are not ranked, and I think that's his, uh, his out, but uh, that may change after uh, the Huskers got one of those all-important road wins in Bloomington, Indiana tonight, uh, going into Assembly Hall and beating uh, the Hoosiers 66-51. Uh, had to be a, a very uh, rewarding win there for Tim Miles and his his crew who had missed out on a couple of earlier opportunities for Big Ten road victories. Uh, this one against an Indiana team that was ranked in the top 25. Uh, Boomer, uh, w- what was your initial uh, outtakes uh, from the game? Well, just like you said, Dave, this is one of those games they had to have. We kind of talked about this a little bit last week, how this is such a key stretch for them. And, you know, we've talked about it on Twitter, how this stretch of, you know, four games here is probably going to determine the season. You know, they had to come out of the games versus, you know, Indiana, Michigan State, and Ohio State with at least one of those wins, and they got one. So, and finally on the road for the first chance, you know, this whole season to get a big road win against a a team that's ranked. I mean, Indiana was a ranked team. They're coming off a couple of losses, but they were still a still a solid Indiana team, and they held them to the fewest points they've scored all season, so it was a great defensive effort out there. And, yeah. And just the, you know, the intensity they started the game with was great, and then the intensity they finished the game with was great. I mean, it was amazing they were able to survive essentially what was a, about an eight-minute scoring drought to end that first half. Uh, and they still, you know, won the game by double digits. I mean, that was that was good. You know, a lot of times a Husker team in the past would have probably just folded, you know, with that big of a drought, and, and they didn't. So that was a huge plus. So, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, Honky, a, are you a, a happy Husker fan now? I mean, I felt like last week, you know, with the two losses on the road, everybody was kind of panicking, and the opportunity was here uh, tonight for a, a nice Road victory, and they looked great. I mean, it, the energy was up, right? Everybody thought after the Penn State victory even that they they didn't look energetic, that something was wrong, and uh, all of those things sh- uh, seemed to be dispelled tonight. Yeah, I'm definitely a, a happy Husker fan tonight. I was also a bad Husker fan earlier. When we were up double digits in the first half and we started going on that, that scoring drought, I stopped watching. I took my son to a little indoor play area in Lincoln where he could jump around for about an hour because I did not want to see if we were going to implode. I didn't want to see it. And I guess I'm I'm raising my hand. I'm calling myself out there. But I just – I DVR'd the game so I could come back and watch the win (laughs) knowing that we won already. But I didn't want to – I just didn't want to sit through it because I felt like I've seen – this was a repeat. I was like, oh, no, don't give up this big lead. We've done this now multiple times. I'm going to save myself the heartache. And, yeah, it's great. And so, hey, at least I'm being honest. I'm calling myself out, and now we've set ourselves up for a huge game. Now that we're three and three in conference, and we're going to be hosting Michigan State, what number six, I think, in the country, fifteen and two, That's right, I yeah. think, is their their record, yep. and at PBA where we haven't lost all season. Um, and that was something tonight, going into Indiana and beating them at home for the first loss they've had at Assembly Hall. Uh, great game tonight, Glenn Watson. Uh, thought that guy was money. And and Borkhart, man, that guy, he earned every bit of you – know, that guy gave up his nose, he gave he up gets, his blood, he did everything. His reward is a root canal tomorrow morning, actually. <laughs> uh, he gets a root canal first thing tomorrow, so he'll be ready to take on the Spartans on Thursday night. 
Uh, I think one of your texts, like, oh, I don't know, it was like seven or nine minutes to go. It was like, oh, the Huskers are up by nine with seven to go. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm so worried, essentially. And then they're up by 11. You're like, I'm even more worried now, right? <laughs> I mean, I think it's amazing. I mean, Boomer is like, you know, we go on that scoring drought, and he's just like, you know, furiously texting, like, you know, we're going to blow this game. And I'm like, just like Nebraska basketball fans just freak out about everything. Well, we have um, about but a I'm glad your history. They of, do it. Uh, I admit, you know, yeah, I admit, I mean, I, I didn't. It doesn't come from nowhere. Dave. It, it, it definitely passed, uh, you know, in, in, in my mind that it could happen. But I also knew that it was a pretty good matchup. This is an Indiana team that doesn't have the rebounding advantage that some of our other uh, foes uh, had. And, uh, you know, the 1-3-1 zone was very effective in the second half tonight. Took Indiana out of their offense entirely. 51 points, so that's a very good defensive effort. Uh, Palmer, uh, Honky, I think you mentioned that. He Really balanced effort, only had 11 points, but uh, rebounds, assists, great defense. Same thing with Copeland, and, and honestly, Roby played well. He's doing better managing his fouls. Watson had a big streak there in the second half that kind of broke the game back open again. Um, you know, uh, overall, a very good performance. Yeah, I mean, Palmer almost came out of there with a triple-double, close to it. Um, yeah, it's just that we, we do a lot of things well. And and in today's game, we were rebounding so much better than we did against Penn State and a couple of the previous games. And I think that's that's just huge. But right now, it's about getting some of that depth onto the court again. Against Penn State, I think we didn't we didn't uh, rotate at all the entire second half, if I remember right. Correct. And tonight, yeah. uh, Nana was able to come back. I think he's coming off of some illness. And obviously, Borkart again. He played some key minutes, and even Hyman got in there today. Anything we can do if we can get if we can get Harris, he started playing yeah. a couple of games. If we can get him in the next month to where he can contribute five to ten minutes a game, even that's going to be huge because we really need that depth. And I know before the show we talked about just a couple of other guys that imagine if we had Xavier Johnson, who you know committed to Nebraska and signed and then you know ended up leaving when uh, uh, oh who was the former coach Kenya Hunter, Kenya Hunter when he Kansas left. Uh, Xavier Johnson went to Pitt. He's averaging 16 points a game. Michael Jacobson's at Iowa State right now averaging 14 points a game. Could you imagine just depth-wise? Or if Jordy didn't leave right before the season? Yeah. Does anybody know where Jordy went? Is he even playing anywhere? Oh, no idea. Maybe Boomer can do a little research on that. But uh, I think that's a really good point. We could use some of those guys when we do face the elite of the Big Ten, and we do have one of those challenges here on Thursday night at the vaults with Michigan State. Now, uh, Nebraska and Tim Miles has had some success versus uh, Tom Izzo in Michigan State, um, but every every year is different. This is a solid Michigan State team, um, inside and out, and so it's going to be a, a challenge, but I, I think the home court advantage will come into play here, and I think we're going to give the, the Spartans a good run. I, no, no guarantees on a, on a win here, but uh, the opportunity is there for a signature win for this season already. Hey, Dave, yeah, if you Jordan had to... Jordan is at Dayton, Dave. I just uh, throw that at you. Yeah. What, what, say so that again, say again? Uh, Jordan is a member of the Dayton Flyers with a red shirt here this year, so yeah, he's not uh, seeing when the course, but, uh, Dayton. Okay. So, Dave, if I had to throw out, like, what do you think a point spread might be for the Michigan State game? I I know it's early, but what would you what would you think? You know, I, that's, that's, that's a great question. So, I think we... So, Indiana was favored tonight by three at home. I'm, I would guess that Sparty is still favored by Nebraska on the road by, I'd guess, maybe three points, three to four points, something like that. Uh, That's my best guess. I, I'm not that, that good at spreads. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, it it, it should be a good game. Uh, Nebraska's – if we're talking about metrics here, uh, Nebraska's net is at 13 right now. That's third best in the Big Ten. The RPI is in the mid-30s. Uh, so everything looks good from a numbers perspective. Yeah, Hunk. Well, actually, so you mentioned the net, and last year you guys broke down the RPI and how that worked. This is different now. We're in the net. How does the net work? How How is it different, or how is it the same uh, from what the metrics were a year ago? How does it work? How does Why is Nebraska showing up so well in it this year? And, and I well, guess what's I'll the difference? If Boomer can look at the exact uh, criteria, that goes into the net that'd be helpful but um just in in general it's not that dissimilar to the rpi it's using 
things like strength of schedule and they call game control. Like if you win by 10 points or more, you get some extra extra uh, points. So it's a it's a formula. Um, I, I thought it was really interesting when they released the first net in November, a few weeks into the season. Uh, you know, there were some unusual outcomes, right? Uh, certain schools were ahead of Duke, for example, and they're like, well, that's crazy. This thing's going to be a horrible tool. And I'm like, well, just like any metric-driven, you know, ranking, uh, the more games played, the the averages start to work themselves out and balance themselves out. And sure enough, now the net starts to make a lot of sense, and the best teams are at the very top. Um, and you could argue that, then, why is Nebraska there? Uh, well, the, the metrics do look favorably at those wins uh, on the road at Clemson still, uh, Seton Hall, um, even Creighton at home. They all add up to a really good-looking uh, resume right now for, for Nebraska, and that plays into what the NCAA committee calls the team sheet, right? And they actually break down your schedule into four tiers, essentially, or groups, right? And you want as many group one games and, and wins in that group one as you can have. Indiana is now one of those group one wins we have, and I would like to th- likely think that Indiana will stay in that group one tier. Uh, we do have our losses to Texas Tech and to Minnesota, et cetera, all in that, that tier tier one. I believe right now Clemson is also a tier one win. We'll see if that holds up. Uh, Boomer, do you have anything on the on the net metrics actually yeah, goes into that? Um, the NET, it has a lot of different things it puts into it. One is what it calls a team value index, and that takes into account, you know, the actual results of the game, the opponent that you played, you know, how they rank, uh, the, the location, and then the scoring margin. And they actually cap uh, the games at 10 points, so you don't get any more credit for beating a team by more than 10. They were just trying to keep teams from running up the score, but, you know, then that it's basketball, it's going to happen. It also, kind of, <laughs> you know, looks at winning percentage, then uh, – it looks at your net efficiency, your offensive efficiency minus defensive, and then it adjusts a win percentage uh, based on location and the results. So, uh, you know, winning on the road is worth, I think, I think it's 1.4 extra points, and then uh, one point at a neutral location and uh, 0.6 at home. So, yep, that sounds yeah. right. And similar for losses. So, you know, a loss on the road doesn't hurt you nearly as much as, you know, a loss at home. So, and like Dave said, it has that quadrant system. And again, it, it shifts the, you know, the, the, the rankings you need for each quadrant depending on whether it's a home court or an away court or a neutral court so it's complex it takes a little bit of charts and graphs and you know if you weren't good at math back in uh, high school i'm sure there's a dummies book we can get for it but uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> but, it's there but hockey at the end of the day that's what the committee will be helping use them determine seating right yeah and um if anybody listened to the fox sports one uh, post-game show they mentioned Howie Schwab, their bracket guy, their Joe Lenardi, has Nebraska's a four seed, which is – that's Honky's dream seed. He wants a four seed, I can tell. Um, that's a wonderful seed. And, <laughs> and uh, that that is really high. I mean, that'd be great. But, Honky, you asked me last week, and does the, the AP poll have any impact on your seeding? And I was like, no. And there's an example, right? Nebraska's not seeded right now, but if Howie Schwab would be correct, we'd have a four seed. That would indicate we're a top 16 team. So – um, we'll see where it goes. Long ways to go. Uh, but there's opportunities all over this Big Ten schedule to build a really solid resume and, and have a, a good seed. They just got to keep on winning games. So to Boomer's point a little bit earlier, talking about how some teams can be Tier 1 or that can change from home home and away, Clemson's an example of that right now. They, they, if we would have beaten Clemson at home, that wouldn't be a Tier 1 win. But because we Correct. beat them on the road, it is considered Tier 1. That's, correct. Clemson, that is correct. Yeah, Clemson is currently uh, 63rd, I believe, in the net rankings. So, um, yeah, at home, you just have to beat a team who's ranked 1 through 75 to get credit for a Tier 1 win. Uh, or, excuse me, on the road. Yeah, it's 1 on through the road. 75. Yeah. At home, um, it's only 1 through 30. So, it makes a huge difference playing and beating a team like that on the road. Uh, like, for example, uh, playing Seton Hall and Creighton in the net are just considered tier, uh, group two wins for us, despite, you know, Seton Hall's success. I imagine they'll move up, you know, as the season goes on, so that'll probably become a tier one win. But that's classified about the same as Oklahoma State. They're also considered a, a group two win because that was played at a neutral site. So I can show you how big of a difference that the actual setting a game is played in. That's why these road wins are so critical to get when you have a chance to get them because they make a huge yeah. boost to your score. So, and where you, and the team's 
you know, that you play how they're grouped. So road wins are road wins are huge. So so as far as, as tier one wins that we have right now, it is Clemson and Indiana. Is that the extent of our tier one wins? That is correct. Yes, as correct. of as of tonight. And then Dave, you mentioned the game control winning the games 10 points or, or more. And, I mean, that is where it's nice that we have some of those big wins against Creighton and now Indiana, Seton Hall, Oklahoma State. I mean, that yep, that will right. look good at the, towards the end. And the the four losses we have are all in Tier 1, so we don't have one bad loss at all. Um, so, And, and the, this whole thing aligns with what the committee says they value, right? I mean, that's why a road win is valued so much because that – supposedly gives them an indication that you can go to a neutral site NCAA tournament game and win that game. Because if you can go on the road versus a good team and win, um, that, that's proving your ability to, to win in the NCAA tournament. And that's what they're looking to, to put in the tournament. So yeah. uh, all, all good stuff for Nebraska. Just keep on winning games. Uh, we're going to lose some along the way. But if you win enough, um, things will turn out pretty well from a, an NCAA tournament perspective. The Recruiting Pipeline. All right, let's talk some football recruiting in scarlet-colored glasses. Um, so we had a, a big visitor weekend uh, with the snow over the, the weekend there in Lincoln where we had, I think, at least four uh, uh, visitors in Lincoln. And uh, one of the big ones uh, literally was Charles Najuko. I might, might get that name a little bit butchered, but... He is a big-bodied receiver out of New Jersey, I believe, right, Honk? And, yeah, 6'5". Uh, yeah, it, it clearly seems to be a target um, of a position, a big-bodied receiver that Frost and company are going after. Also had a couple of defensive guys there, DJ James, a true cornerback out of Spanish Fort, Alabama, um, outside linebacker from Texas, Stephen Parker, I believe is his name, Four-star guy that decommitted from Texas Tech, but Tech is still in the running, so kind of interesting if we can pick him off. Um, also had a a um, another outside linebacker from, I think, Mesa Community College down there in Arizona. Um, also going to butcher his name, too. He's a tough one. Like, uh, Honky, maybe you might have it in front of you. Sonia Frenua or something like that. I apologize if I, I totally messed that up, but... Um, Anyway, I, I think really the, the storyline is, you know, who do we have in, not necessarily who we have in, but who we're going after from a position standpoint, right? And mm-hmm. as I mentioned, that, that big body wide receiver, outside linebacker, cornerback, those are still positions of need in this class. And uh, they're really intent in, in going to get uh, these guys here in the last couple of weeks before signing day on February 6th. Yeah, Monkey? absolutely. I, the big bodied receiver is pretty apparent. I mean, it's not just 6'5", uh, Charles Njoku, who is the younger brother of David Njoku, who is a Browns, Cleveland Browns tight end. Uh, but we yeah. also are now, I guess, in the grad transfer market. We're looking at 6'5", uh, Miami Canes receiver Lawrence Cager, uh, who would be a one-year-to-play guy. So uh, we're certainly in that market uh, right now for, for a big-bodied receiver. We're still looking at defensive back, and I know on Saturday is the Polynesian Bowl, and Noah Pola Gates is playing there and is supposed to be making his decision. And uh, he also, I don't know if it's a package deal or not, but he has his cousin, Matthew Pola Mao, who's a defensive tackle. I think he's like 6'2", 295. So there's a couple of guys there. But yep. on top of all that, maybe the biggest news of the weekend actually came today, and that was with Dedrick Mills officially signing his, his letter of intent. And that's the junior college running back that we've had committed to us for, for months but the, the one from Garden City. So he will be here in the summer. Uh, he's a bigger-bodied running back. Uh, I've heard and seen enough people kind of compare him to the next Azigbo for us, and I don't know if he's quite that size, but the point is he is a guy that has Division One experience. He played as a freshman at right. Georgia Tech, um, got some honors there, some accolades, I think, while at Georgia Tech, and then um, transferred out of there, ended up at, in JUCO, and, and now he's back at Nebraska here. Yeah, freshman All-American at Georgia Tech, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe a little bit more of a straight-line guy compared to, to Vine, but uh, definitely the, would fill that role at least um, immediately, I, I would think, for Nebraska. And, yeah, I think all signs point uh, positive to Nolapola Gates, and that would be a big get. Another four-star guy. Mills is a four-star guy. You really see, I think, it will, 
another kind of storyline here in these last few weeks of this recruiting cycle is they're not really really grasping for just anybody here. They're not desperate. Uh, they are really going after some some high quality guys here that will be contributors and uh, ultimately guys that are are bumping up our, our recruiting ranking as well. I suppose absolutely. And I think this is almost a perfect time to bring this up because it's it's the opposite of going after the four star guys. But something that I don't want to get lost in the weekend was where was Coach Frost on Friday? He was in our hometown of Columbus, and this That's is right. so kind of old school Nebraska at the same time that you're bringing in national kids and the kids that will, you know, have accolades and bring four stars with them. Um, on Friday when he had some extra time, coach Frost went up to Columbus, went to our stomping grounds at Columbus high Lakeview and, and Boomer and I and Mac, we were, we were SCOTUS guys. He was at SCOTUS and it's not because there's some four star kid just, you know, hanging out there that they're going after. It's just about building relationships in state. Hey, I've got a couple extra hours. Let's go up to Columbus. Let's go out to, you know, Grand Island, let's go wherever it is just to keep building in-state relationships up. And we don't need to do a social media blitz about it like we did under the Riley years. Like when we, we don't have to announce that we're That's going right. to, to in-state schools. This is just something you do, you know. This obviously uh, reminds us of the infamous honky story of when <laughs> Tom Osborne visited SCOTUS uh, while he was a uh, they're probably what your junior or senior year, and you actually just said, "Hey, Tom." <laughs> well, I chased him down the hallway. I yelled, "Hey, Tom!" out of a out of a out of the school or out of the classroom. I'm pretty sure there's still a restraining order against me. Uh, but you know, you, you stuck your head out the window and shouted at him as he was leaving too. I remember. <laughs> yeah, he looked. He looked up I, like I believe oh. that was in civics class. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like next year, Tom. I believe you shouted and waved and. He had an amusing look on his face again. He was just looking around for security, but still, it was, yeah. Yeah, you know, but that's that's important. That's an important part of what Nebraska football is to the state and to, and to, to young, impressionable minds like myself. And uh, <laughs> So if you're listening, Tom, if you remember that, that was, that was honky. So. That was, that when was honky me. apologizes, he profusely apologizes. Oh, he doesn't apologize. Yeah, oh, yeah. oh, right. <laughs> Honestly, he even at this age, he'd still do the same thing I, to Frost. Is the funny that's thing? Probably, I probably would. Now, having said all that, I was thinking about this today, driving home from work, and and I was like, think of all the the Columbus kids that were on the teams in the mid '90s when we were having those great years. Oh. it's it's unreal. I mean, like we had you can go with Schlesinger was a Columbus high guy. Tim yep. Carpenter was a Columbus high guy. Jeff Lake was a Lakeview guy. Those guys were all starters. You had Jesse Cush that we played with at, at Skoda's. He was the yep. four-year punter for us. I graduated in the class, and Boomer and, and, and Mac in our class at Skoda's, we had Brandon Drum, who came right out as a scholarship player. And then you throw on top of that walk-ons. There was Scott Siebenborn and Trent Gum and Langens. And, I mean, there was just a lot of players. Tessendorf. Yep. I, to name that many people just from Chad the Columbus little town of Columbus. And yeah. And I don't want to say that Columbus was unique. A lot of other towns had that. So what I loved about this weekend was I love the fact that we're bringing in the, the Cleveland Browns younger, you know, their tight ends, younger brother. I, I love it. I love that we're getting guys from Texas. And I love that we're getting guys from Alabama coming up here. And I love on Saturday that we're going to have a guy playing in the Polynesian Bowl who's a big four-star guy and we think he's going to sign here. I think that's awesome. And when you couple it with – we still had time to go and make that drive up 90 miles up to, to Columbus. And we still, and we're going to make time for those in-state guys to go along with it. It's, it's the thing that gets me so excited about the future of this program. It's being rebuilt the way that we saw it built for so many years. And I, I just think that the good things are going to come from that. So, No, that's, that's great stuff. Yeah, I, I can't remember which of the championship teams had multiple Columbus guys as starters, if I'm not mistaken. So... Um, yeah, Columbus per per capita produced a, a lot of key players there in the mid to late nineties. Yeah. That's for certain. Ninety seven had podcasters too. I'll note. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Eight, well, There's no ju- reason. And journalists, <laughs> just in general. Uh, Dave, on your your family's lake, wasn't didn't Dirk have Dirk Chadlin have something out yeah, there? Yeah, that's and, right. Yeah, Dirk. Mike Schaefer uh, from just Columbus. Simple. I mean, it, Columbus is a you know got to give a, give a shout out to the old Platte County area there. Um, <laughs> it's a hotbed. It is. Well, what wasn't a hotbed was was Lincoln last Saturday, as we got about twelve inches of snow. But that didn't stop. Uh, there's a really cool photo 
on the on the field and the field was totally snow covered and somebody went out there and with some shovels and they they just shoveled out just the inn uh, on the field oh, and nice. took a photo of that and it looks so yeah. sweet i mean you could see these little footsteps you know walking away yeah from it. but yeah really it was a it was a cool photo and uh it, it just reminded me of how we're up north it's cold you know and and i'm watching the kansas city game on saturday the chiefs game and i posted this this tweet and i mean my gosh we've about 500 600 likes to it and everything and it was about it was um some uh some chief fans that were tailgating and i just mentioned like wouldn't this be cool if we expanded a playoff so boomer this is red meat for you if we expanded the playoff to eight teams and you could have the the one through four host how great would that be to have a similar scene in Lincoln, Nebraska, or Columbus, Ohio, or Ann Arbor, Michigan, wherever you want to pick, that's up north. And imagine a South team having to come up and playing in that. Dave, you live in Denver, and every once in a while the Broncos get a good blizzard game going. Like, how awesome yeah. would, you know, would it be to see a team have to, that traditionally only plays down south, Alabama, Florida, Georgia? How awesome. I'd also, I'd also note, though, that Kansas City, which has a kind of a high-powered, you know, lots of passing and, and exciting offense – Ended up performing quite well in those conditions. It wasn't actually snowing during the game. Uh, but the Colts, uh, who are a dome team, did not seem to fare well. Uh, Casey jumped out early and mm-hmm. and kind of blew them out. So, yeah, I think – and also I, I'm intrigued to see what this uh, Kansas City-New England game will look like uh, this weekend because I think it's probably going to be cold in, in Kansas City again. So. Yeah, it's well, supposed to be brutally cold this weekend. So be interesting yeah. to see how that what impact that plays. Well, while we're talking a little bit of pro football, obviously as Husker fans, we have the longest uh, streak in the Super Bowls of having a Husker player somewhere on the team. Boomer is has so kindly, you know. Well, what what did you bring up? That, they're on the roster. They're not necessarily on the fifty-three man yeah, roster, but they are. Yeah, on. we it's we we have players on a roster some way, shape, or form. I mean, sometimes it's a guy in the practice squad or somebody who was on injured reserve all season and wasn't actually active. But but they got a ring. Yeah, they got a ring, and they were on a they, they were getting a paychecck in some yeah. way, shape, or form from the organization. So we'll and the point slide. and the point is the same. That same rule applies to every other school. So we we have something for the you know. The How most long is this tree conky? What's that? How long is the streak? I th- oh gosh, was it twenty five years or something? I Sounds I don't have right. it in front of me, but um, point is, if we want that that streak to continue, and maybe Boomer, if you could look that up, if we want the streak to continue, you're wanting either the Patriots or the Rams in it. Patriots obviously have uh, Burkhead. Do they still have Vincent Valentine? I I think I'm not sure. Rams obviously have Sue, but uh, Saints versus Chiefs that would end the streak. So. You're, you're wanting either the Rams or the Pats, and I'm rooting for the Rams in, in game one so that I don't have to root for the Pats in game two. <laughs> <laughs> A little Patriot fatigue there, I believe. Yeah. Um, and one other, one other pro comment since we're, since we're on the NFL, Zach Taylor getting some, getting some love here. I mean, he's still – Yeah. Uh, was it the uh, – is it the Bengals or the – yeah, Bengals. The are. Bengals are reportedly going to hire Zach Taylor. He's currently the quarterback's coach for the Rams, which is kind of equivalent to the offensive coordinator because they, uh, Sean McVay is the offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. And so um, Zach Taylor, who actually was the University of Cincinnati's offensive coordinator in 2016, Miami Dolphins OC before that, a very quick riser in the, the business is going to, take that that Rams offense that he's learning from Sean McVay and take it to Cincinnati as head coach starting next year. Yeah, I, I think I heard something today that there's four coaches that are younger than Breeze or uh, Brady. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the potential that you could have a Breeze-Brady matchup and have four NFL coaches, current coaches, younger than the quarterbacks that are playing is just Yeah, Sean McVay is 34 maybe, I believe, clicks – Cliff Kingsbury is going to be 39. Zach Taylor is right there in that 35 range, I suppose. So, yeah, it's the, the trend is young young coaches, especially offensive coaches. And, uh, I mean, that, there's a bit of that, obviously, in college as well. So, mm-hmm. Well, good stuff. Something else that I, I wanted to mention, this was uh, from social media in the last week, pick six previews. Uh, if you get a chance, follow them on Twitter. They do a really good job. They're a good follow, and they do a lot with stats. And anyways, they 
brought up a, a some questions that we brought up on, uh, I think it was show number three. If you want to go way back, if you want to listen, Redcasters, to an old wow. show, we did one that was the kings and barons and everything, and that was based off of uh, Stuart Mendel's list of kings and barons and, and so on of college football that he does about every five years. Well, uh, Pick 6 Previews uh, followed along with that, and they did a qu- series of questions on about 18, 19 teams that are traditionally considered blue bloods or somewhere in that category of blue bloods. And the question simply was, is this team a blue blood? Is this one a blue blood? And they did like 19, 18, whatever it was, different polls. Um, The top eight teams that are clearly blue bloods still with a hundred and some thousand votes across the board. Each one of these got about anywhere from about five to 10,000 votes. Alabama, 92% people said, yep, they're a blue blood. Ohio State, 91%. Oklahoma, 82%. USC, 79%. Notre Dame, 78%. Michigan, 74%. Nebraska, 70 and Texas, 70 Those eight schools were far and away, yes, they are still Blue Bloods. And then there was a whole series of schools that were at 51% or less, starting with Penn State, Florida. You start getting down here, Florida State's at 45%. Miami at 42%. LSU was 36. Clemson, 34%. I was kind of impressed that people didn't just jump on them just because they've had a a tremendous amount of success in the last three or four years, but didn't just immediately jump and call them something, you know, higher than maybe what they traditionally have been. Tennessee was 29%, Georgia 27, and then Washington and Auburn kind of closed it out 14 and 13%. I just thought it was really interesting. Uh, There's a lot of votes Again, that it wasn't just a local vote. This was a national one. And I was impressed that, that people, you know, have memories a little bit further back than maybe just last week. Yeah, I think it is really interesting. I mean, that actually goes against what, what Boomer was saying last week where everybody's memory starts uh, today, essentially. But, I mean, you know, 150,000 votes over 18 different teams and so it is interesting. Some of those votes can be Homer votes, just like Honky voting for Nebraska, but then he voted for the all, uh, other 17, I presume. Mm-hmm. And um, so, I mean, it, is it statistically valid? No, it's, it's self, uh, you know, self-choosing voters there. But uh, just by raw numbers, it, it, it is pretty interesting. And also, uh, Boomer, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that, that top eight generally aligns with probably the all-time wins list pretty much. I would imagine that, so. It would be pretty darn yeah. close to it. You know, especially if you know yeah. with vacated wins and all that. Yeah, I would imagine it's very close to that. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think that makes sense. You know, and I am a little curious. Penn State at fifty-one percent was kind of kind of low. I think I at agree. that one, but you know, Clemson is. I, I think I was reading some of the, the the Twitter back and forth on this, and you know, the idea was is that something like Clemson or Florida State is not a blue blood; they're a new blood, right? And uh, you know, if you could give them more time. They could definitely join that echelon. Even Miami, um, you know, really just had a 20-year run there, right? Mm-hmm. So if they would come back and have another good 20-year run, they would be right there at blue blood status. But um, it is interesting because you do have to be good for a very long time, have not just national titles, but uh, just consistency for, for decade over decade. Yeah, how yeah. do people define blue blood, I wonder? That would be my it, question. I think they the pick six was very honest. They were simply saying that they didn't try to define that. It was up to the voter to, right. to and define. Right, that's, that's but, what I'm curious. How do you think the average person would define that? that well, I mean, it is – I would – if, if the votes turned out differently, I'd be like, well, this is really interesting because this mm-hmm. really young people are taking this and they, they haven't paid – you know, they, they weren't around when Nebraska or Michigan or even Miami, for that matter, were really good. Uh, but that wasn't the case. They didn't put Clemson in and 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 keep Miami out. Or something. It was it was one of those scenarios where it seems like the the numbers make sense. I, I don't know what that tells us, but mm-hmm. it, it seems like a, the poll relates to things like all time wins, bowl victories, national titles, etc. And that's the thing. Like uh, you know, I'll consider myself the traditionalist, obviously, of when I'm talking about what a blue blood is. And to your point there, Dave, I was a little surprised in that sense that Penn State was only at fifty one percent. I actually gave, as far as I voted for us for the Redcasts on him, and um, well, thank I, I Thanks, made you know. yeah, I made Florida State uh, a blue blood, and they're only at forty five percent. I did give Clemson it. I 
I guess I, I do feel they have a, enough of tradition. Then you couple that with what they are doing right now. I, I did. I put them as one, but obviously. Did I, you do Penn State? What's that? And you had Penn State as a blue blood? I had Penn State as one. And I also had Tennessee, and Tennessee is only at 29%. But I. And so you, did you vote for 12 blue bloods? Is that. I would have had the, the top eight plus those four. Yep. The other okay. ones I didn't. And, I mean, those are all. And here's your all times wins here, Dave. I decided to grab those actual numbers for yeah. you, just out of curiosity. All right, pick six previews. The uh, the his top blue bloods were Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, USC, Notre Dame, Michigan, Nebraska, Texas. Uh, your all time wins: uh, Michigan is number one, Ohio State two, Texas then Yale, Alabama then Notre Dame, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Penn State is actually ninth. Then Harvard, Penn, USC, Tennessee would be 13, and Georgia 15, LSU 17, Auburn 19, and West Virginia 20th. And then you, so then outside you get, of Yale, yeah, it, it aligns perfectly, right? The top uh, reasonably well. I guess Penn State doesn't get the credit that it apparently should have if we're going solely off win totals. So they're ninth overall. Which, who is below only, Penn what, State? 51st? Yeah. Who is below Penn State that made the top eight? In uh, the- USC, for example. Uh, they were, oh, yeah, they're a little behind Penn State. Not substantially behind, but certainly behind okay. them. And everyone else just looks like they are above them. But, yeah, everyone else from... So they switched out USC is in, Penn State was out, essentially. Yeah, basically, mm-hmm. yeah. Not counting your Ivy Leagues, you know, your Yales, Harvards, right. and Pens, which have been playing since, you know, 1702 or so. I think George Washington played for one of them. <laughs> but, uh, and, and winning yeah. 15 games exactly. in the season. Yeah, that's true, yeah, so as, as Clemson discovered, much to their dismay. So. Yeah. Yes. Honky. Now, so, now some people I did read through uh, some of the comments on Nebraska, and as you can imagine, there were some people that were like, "Hey, these guys haven't been good in twenty years," and blah blah blah. And I guess to those people, what I would say is that blue bloods are allowed to have down periods. In fact, what Nebraska did between '62 and really I'll say 2003 for 40 plus years, that was the anomaly. We were the only one that wasn't having major drop-offs at one point or another. So what's happened in Nebraska, it's timing is weird to call us a, a blue blood. I get it that we haven't been great for 15 years. But what our 15-year down period is no different than what Alabama dealt with between Bear Bryant and Saban and, and what yep, Oklahoma right. dealt with in the 90s. And we can go down the whole list. Texas, USC, everyone's had these. It was Nebraska hadn't. Well, we finally had ours. And we had ours in the Internet era, so it's been talked about and tweeted about enough. But it's no worse. Our 15-year period is no worse than any of these other Blue Bloods have gone through over the course of time. And actually, that's an interesting phrase that you gave. I guess I hadn't heard that, Dave, New Blood. But that would kind of right. apply to a, a Miami or even a Florida State in that sense. It really, they are just really since about 1980. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And it's interesting, Miami's now at this boat, boat where they won all their titles between 83 and 2001, I believe. Yeah. Um, and, and that so that's a 18-year period, 18, 19-year period. And now, so they're approaching almost that long since they've been – in national title game, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, think about that, right? They won so many during that period, and then they've almost gone as long without winning, right? And when, so. and when they would win one, I mean, you got to give the Canes credit. When they did win them, they won them with ridiculously good teams. They like yes. th- some of the, some of the top ten to fifteen teams of all time. Several of them at least have to be Miami teams, and so they've definitely they've had that the very high quality at the top level. But man, there's a whole lot of space in between and a lot of not good that you know Miami had over the years too. It is hard to call them a blue blood. Blue blood. Uh, one last thing, and, and I guess we can move on. But and I sound like a commercial for this pick six previews, but I've been paying attention to them, and they've been doing some other stats too. And these were Nebraska ones that I wanted to bring out. Is that Nebraska was the most improved nationally in rush offense last year from the from the previous year, <laughs> and what they're basing that off of is how many points or how many spots you moved up in the national rankings of rushing offense so we were 112th in 2017 and we were 28 28th last year in 2018 so we moved up 96 spots that's the number one uh, most improved nationally team and all I can say is that is both a, a true credit to coach Frost and staff for what they did this year and what an indictment on coach Riley and where this offense was going for you know going towards before that and the other one that Nebraska was listed on is uh, we talk about a lot about the black shirts being a work in progress, and they are. 
But, again, credit to Coach Nander, Coach Fisher in the backfield, defensive backfield. Uh, Nebraska was fourth nationally in the most improved pass defense with QB rankings. We moved up 61 spots in uh, wow. in pass defense off of the QB rating. So that's there's a lot to be said there. It's yeah, and and we also moved up. We were somewhere in the top 10 of moving up in scoring defense. I don't have that exact number in front of me, but uh, so there were some defensive stats where we made some pretty major improvements too last year. So we got that going for us, which is nice. Which is nice. All right, all right, good stuff, good stuff. Yeah, no, Pick 6, they actually do a really good job in their preseason predictions. I think they're one of the most accurate, uh, or or if not the most accurate site out there. So um, excellent stuff. All right, guys, uh, Honky, do we have anything in the mailbag? All right, this week uh, with the mailbag, uh, we have a couple questions here I wanted to go over. The first one. Uh, is actually from Boomer from the Redcast, and uh, which podcaster predicted all of the conference champions right? Uh, Boomer, I'm going to hand this one over to you. Well, yeah, we went back and took a look at our uh, preseason predictions, and, uh, oh, what do you know? I'm, I'm getting word that I got them all right. Isn't that kind of yeah, – that's nice to see. So, no, it was just something we talked about. It was just kind of how uh, almost kind of dull to some extent the college football season was, at least in terms of the top teams. It was just – it kind of seems set in stone. We talked about it a, a couple times already. How yeah, I think the term we've used was ossifying, and it, it's a little depressing in some ways that college football's trended that way, with it almost being predictable to start each season. You know how Here, it's going to end I'll, up. Uh, yeah, I'll throw another one out to you, really quick, Boomer. Then who's going to win the uh, Power Five conference championships next year already? Well, if you had to just throw names out there, well, you're probably going to yeah. go with uh, Alabama. You're going to go Clemson. Yep. yep. Uh, I, it's hard to not predict Oklahoma until they lose it. I mean, Texas is going to give them a run, but, you know, they play each other yep. potentially twice, so there's that. Uh, Pac-12, let's go Oregon. And who are we missing? Are we missing? No, Big Ten. Big Ten. Oh, but Ohio, God. Ohio State's still going to be favored. <laughs> yeah, going to have to say Ohio State again, because that would mean, you know, we'd probably have to beat them a couple times, you know, which we're, you know, totally capable of doing. But uh, So the only difference would be the Pac-12. Yeah, so I think that's a safe bet. For what it's worth, Ugh. though, I would say next year it's starting to feel, outside of the ACC and SEC, I think Clemson and Alabama, obviously, you, you pick them, but the other three conferences, it is starting to feel a little more iffy. I, I agree. I still would pick probably everything you did, Boomer, but Texas is now at a point where you feel like they can compete with Oklahoma. Ohio State, I mean, you don't have Urban anymore. You have a coaching a, change, yeah. No, there's, the Big Ten is, is in flux, yeah. There's yeah. definitely opportunities for everybody to step up and make some changes. But, you know, until someone does, well, yeah, let's, let's wait and see for it to happen. Yeah. Well, that wasn't a serious question from the, red cat, or from the mailbag, but these, oh. these next two actually are. Uh, first from Rochester Pete, and I'm not sure if that's Minnesota or New York. But uh, he asked, how does the transfer portal work, and is it good for college football? Uh, I'll start with Dave, but obviously I want to get Boomer's uh, input on this too. But Dave, well, do you know a, how it works great... and, and your thoughts on it? Generally speaking, uh, Pete, uh, that's a great question. And it's something new, right? Uh, the transfer portal is something that launched, I think, in October of just last year. And this is to address some of these these issues with coaches and conferences um, uh, not allowing players to transfer to certain teams or uh, all those type of things, and it just kind of makes the, the process more transparent, essentially. So a player can enter into this transfer portal. Uh, someone on the staff of the athletic administration enters this uh, information in, they go into the portal, and then all other schools are then notified of the intent of this person to transfer. And so this is what happened, let's say, with Jalen Hurts, for example, at Alabama, where he actually submitted his paperwork in. Uh, the Alabama administrators are required to submit it within a certain amount of time. And then all other schools are then notified that he is um, seeking transfer, and then they can contact him and, and all the stuff that happens afterwards. Um, there's a really interesting article on the uh, Athletic. I think Bruce Feldman actually wrote it uh, about this whole process, and it's it's brand new, right? So they're just trying to figure it out, and uh, it's intriguing to me because everybody's name goes into the same place. There's no necessarily a filter, right? And so 
like D2 transfers are going in there, uh, walk-ons uh, go in there, and then Jalen Hurts. Uh, or I think uh, there's a Penn State wide receiver, Jawan Johnson. Big name, right, that a lot of people would be very interested that just goes in there. So every school has to monitor this transfer portal and uh, want to identify if there's anybody who is interested. So like for Nebraska, for example, Hunk, you, you brought up this Miami uh, wide receiver. What was his name? Cager, is that right? Yeah, Lawrence Cager. Yeah, so he's probably uh, entered his name into the transfer portal, and Nebraska is keeping an eye on that, and somehow the contact occurs and, and things happen. But, I mean, there's thousands of names into this thing, right? And um, every every program is going to have to monitor this closely because you never know when you have a game changer that uh, is, is suddenly out there. So if, like, Boomer went back to grad school, could he put his name into the uh, to the portal then? Well, I, th- I think so, potentially. It seemed like uh, if you read the article from The Athletic, again, really good uh, read there, um, they found somebody who hadn't, hadn't even played football and his name had somehow gotten in there, right? <laughs> so I think uh, if you're somehow a student, you can pr- probably much get into the portal. So um, if you want to get some offers, you never know. Uh, Boomer, uh, that kind of explains how it works. I guess the other side of this is, is it good for college football? I guess let's get your uh, your take on that. Uh, I think it just depends who you are. I, my general impression is it's it's good for student athletes for the most part. Um, so I think that's the most important thing because that's what the sport is all about, right? The student athletes, isn't that what the NCAA Absolutely. administrations tell us? So it does add some power back into their hands when it comes to this. You know, they can just say they're transferring and now their names are in there. You know, prior to that, they had to get, you know, permission from coaches and everything like that to explore transferring. And, you know, coach didn't have to really do anything or could just say no or drag their feet. And now they can't do that. So it does give the students freedom to to leave if they find a program or a school isn't a fit for them. And I think that's a good thing. Um, you know, it's it's not forcing them to transfer, so you know they do have the opportunity to stay if they want to. Now, now schools can take away their scholarship at the end of that semester if they do, you know, have an intent to transfer. That's right. So, uh, better be careful. But you know, you don't just throw your name out there for the heck of it and just for fun, or don't just type your name in there just as you know, just for the heck of it out there, players. Unless you're really, really considering the transfer. So, and kind of understanding your coach's you know feelings on the whole whole philosophy too, but. It is going to change a lot. It's almost kind of like a free agency thing to some degree as far as players are going to go. So it's something you're going to have to track. And, you know, there may be that key piece to your team that you can find out there. A lot of names you're going to have to dig through, be aware of. And just a, it can be it a is, tool for coaches too. So Yeah, it is closest thing to free agency, right? And that doesn't change the fact that you may need to set out a year, those type of things. But especially for that senior transfer market, it, it is acting like a free agency pool of some sorts. Yeah. Well, thank you, Rochester Pete. Appreciate the uh, question. I think Rochester Pete, he's a he's a uh, mailbag virgin there, so uh, first-time mailbagger. Excellent. Uh, next question comes from Isaac from McCook, and he talked about how FBS coaches uh, a couple days ago expressed unanimous support to avoid playing games on Friday nights to protect high school coaches and programs. Uh, Boomer, you've been big on this, so I'm going to lead off with you. Uh Good move, bad move. What are your thoughts on getting away from playing Friday nights? Yeah, I think it's a good move. I don't know a whole lot of people who are really itching for Friday night games. I mean, it, it traditionally is the high school night, and, you know, I don't have any kids or anything like that to play high school games, but I know a lot of people do, and, you know, they're going to spend time going to their kids' games. You don't want to force high school or, you know, college games to try to compete with that. You know, it's going to take away a chunk of your fan base. It just seemed to be another one of those kind of dumb things college football's been trying to do to – force themselves on certain days like when they tried to have the playoff games on new year's eve you know that was a stupid idea you know thinking they were going to start some new tradition and that didn't work out so they had to move that yeah the logistics of it weren't going to make sense for a lot of programs i'm pretty sure we talked about that in one of our old shows like trying to do a friday night game in lincoln would be a disaster could you imagine trying to you know pull that off in terms of parking and moving students around and getting people in and out of there around five o'clock for a game i mean that would just be a train wreck and it didn't seem like any coach was really excited about it. You know, I I would have liked to see the NCAA, you know, push more and fight more for those Thursday night games like they used to have. They kind of almost seem to have ceded that to the NFL entirely at this point, which is kind of depressing. But uh, I think that's a good point, uh, Boomer. That's what I was going to mention is that Thursday night games were great back mm-hmm. in the day. I, I, I distinctly remember uh, watching 
Florida State and Warwick Dunn, I believe, losing to Virginia. Yes. This would have been in the fall of 95. Florida State was number one. Virginia beats them. And that's a Thursday night game. And yeah. that just uh, that, was, that uh, was a big deal. Florida State's first ACC loss, if I remember right. Yeah, yeah. Was, that's yeah, right. Hectic. I think I was watching the norm, if I remember right. Yeah. So Thursday, Thursday nights were a showcase. Uh, and Nebraska had a few of those games. That, that game against Missouri in the rain yeah. where Sue just – Kills Blaine Gabbert mm-hmm. um, happened on a Thursday night, and uh, they did kind of just uh, just give it up to the NFL. And the NFL games on Thursdays have been horrendous. Oh, yeah. Those games are trash. They're nobody the worst. Yeah, they find the worst uniforms. Uh, they play the worst games, and nobody the players enjoys it. hate it. Yeah, players don't yeah. like it. Fans don't like it. Just take it back. The NFL can have Friday if they want it. Fine, you know it's okay. Yeah, or I mean, go ahead and do a double header. I mean, there's enough. Time, especially with the ridiculous East Coast West Coast swing, that you could do a. I mean, it's not that they don't do Thursday night games, but they've de-emphasized, right. you know, bring teams playing on Thursday night, etc. I feel like ESPN could could still have one uh, good college game and then still have the NFL game on, but uh, yeah, that's just my. Opinion. I know the NFL players almost unanimously hate Thursday night games for what it does yes. to the. You either have to take a bye week beforehand, or if you're trying to play a Sunday and follow it up with a yeah. Thursday, it just becomes a. A logistical nightmare in that regard so and i agree the thursday night games college football that was so awesome to have thursday night games that it really led into the weekend and there'd be thursday night you know the the game day guys would be on it corso and them you know and they it would help kind of like bring in the weekend of football um nebraska one of my favorite thursday night games was at oklahoma state like in 93 that's when baron miles took the ball off the punter's foot like literally just oh, caught yeah. it right off the foot as he was trying to kick it. Uh, that was a Thursday night game. So uh, it's it's a, one of the rare opportunities in college football, you know, up till when they gave it to the NFL, where that Thursday night game was a showcase. Mm-hmm. Like everybody was going to watch that the big game on ESPN that night. Yep. Um, and with so many games on on Saturdays now, you just don't have that. So it is a kind of a missed opportunity. I feel like for college football these mm-hmm. days. But I, I, to throw my two cents in, I would love to see college football get out of the Friday night business. I, I think of that as being a, a, a high school night. Um, there's enough college football right now on Tuesday night and Wednesday night with the MAC action, and and That's I would right. like to see Thursday night owned again by by college football. NFL, you get Monday night. That's yours, and you get all Sunday. So there's kind of a pecking order who gets e- each night, and I, I felt that college football has always been a little bit out of place on Friday, and. I'm glad to see that these the the FBS coaches are kind of expressing support with that now. So really quick honk, mm-hmm. uh, just a side note on this. This is totally impromptu. Is that I was listening to I, I don't know where it was, but uh, conversations about the expanded college football playoff and maybe some hurdles that you may have to get across to to make that happen. And it's the Saturday that right now uh, after the, the the conference championship. Uh, games mm-hmm. now have NFL has Saturday games those two Saturdays essentially mm-hmm. um, right uh, the last week 16 and 17 I believe and if you would have the com- or the uh, the first round of the 18 playoff for example on that Saturday you'd be in direct conflict with with two NFL games and so the NFL would have to move them back to Sunday and whoever I was listening to is like well NFL is not going to give that those are two of the highest ranked you know, TV ratings games they have, right? And so here's college football and NFL with a little bit of a disagreement, essentially. That could be a barrier to the college football playoff was the NFL playing <laughs> on those Saturdays. You know, they'll figure it out. I, you could, I, I don't care if you take a couple of weeks off between um, the conference championship weekend. The next weekend is, is Heisman weekend. I, I wouldn't do anything then, but it was that next one, two weeks after it, kind of middle of December. That's where if you're going to do four games in an eight game eight team playoff and and you you had the top four teams hosting you could conceivably do it over a couple of days have a thursday night game a friday night game a couple of saturdays you could do something to kind of have that first round be played you know in a weekend sure sure you still may be in conflict with nfl on saturday though is my point you could you certainly could be they'd have to figure that out but uh one thing that we know (laughs) as we're seeing here with with 40 plus bowls and and, you know, expanded playoffs is that people seem to not hate more football games. The more that you can schedule, the more you can get on the, on the, the docket, people seem to, seem to watch them. 
but to Boomer's point, and I think to your point earlier, Dave, the one thing that you don't want to do is you don't want to force something at a time that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense on New Year's Eve to say this is when we want people to be watching a football game when you have your own traditions going on. That didn't work very well when they when they tried that a couple of years ago. And so they, they do have to be careful with that. But I, I think they could find a way to make it work uh, if there's sure. interest behind yeah, it. Absolutely. Well, thank you to everyone that, that submitted questions. Again, you can always contact us at GoBigRedCast at Gmail and obviously at GoBigRedCast on Facebook, Twitter, and on our Instagram page as well. Great. All right, let's uh, get out of here with some parting shots. Honky? Uh, Mac is not here, so it's fun to call him out when he's not here. I was listening to last <laughs> week's show, and I, I appreciate how he continued to call Trevor Lawrence Blake Lawrence. Um, <laughs> that was good. Trevor yeah. Lawrence is the quarterback of Clemson, Mac, and Blake is the former Husker who's now CEO of Open Doors. So there is a difference there. But, again, I get to call him out because he's not on the show. Um, this is <laughs> – I'm I'm going to give uh, some more props to another person on Twitter, and I think Boomer would appreciate this. Coach Jumbo Steim is on is Steam. On Steam. Steam. Thank They're you. Just making fun of you know Matt for mispronouncing things. Well, so, it's true. Okay, so anyways, Jumbo Steam <laughs> is on Twitter, and he's actually a pretty clever listen. So he's a good follow. Yeah, he sounds like a guy that would be alive back in the 1920s with his vocabulary and everything. So it's kind of fun to listen to him. So you know, shout out to him. And uh, my last, I'm, hey, honky, honky. Mm-hmm. I'm not 100 percent certain that Boomer is not uh, Jumbo Steam on, I on Twitter. I don't I'm think not, he is, I but he might be. I, I am not in charge of that account. So. I have never seen the Redcast <laughs> and Jumbo Steam in the same room together. So that's true. That is, it's true. That's very true. And last but not least, a little heads up to next week. We're doing uh, something interesting with the Husker Fan Podcast. Justin, and Mike, we're going to do kind of a dual recording next week uh with them and and uh looking forward to doing that they're a really great husker fan podcast there's a lot of great husker fan podcasts out there but uh justin and mike and then a couple of us we're getting all of our logistics together on it but we're gonna do a recording and kind of do a dual show for next week so, so a looking crossover forward to that. episode all right crossover yep yeah we promise awesome. it won't be as bad as like you know batman versus superman or anything like that so hopefully it can be better <laughs> so yeah, it's risky territory there. <laughs> Boomer, what do you got for me? Uh, first thing, uh, Honky, have we heard back from our uh, bull pick'em winner yet? Uh, what was his name? Vanilla something or another? Um, we have not. Vanilla Mamba. If, if, Vanilla Mamba. Yeah, if, if he does want his photo, we do have it, so uh, we can get that to you. So please, if not, uh, Honky, do we have someone who would uh, fulfill his duties if uh, Vanilla Mamba does not respond? Yes, the the backup to him is actually a coworker of mine. He finished second, so oh, if Vanilla Mamba, yeah, I cannot, you know, fulfill all the duties that you know come with the come with winning we have someone else i can get it <laughs> okay and then I, I just wanted to close again um this kind of ties in something from last show and then something honky was nice enough to bring up here uh we talked last week about you know bringing frank solich back and hopefully exercising some demons from uh, some bad times and getting things back on track and i just kind of wanted to bring up that uh we really now with the solich matter behind us we do need to rectify the uh, lack of fame that jumbo steam has here at the university of nebraska if you look back at it, uh, his 1915 team was invited to the Rose Bowl and should have been our first bowl game, and he was not allowed to go because the athletic department, or the athletic uh, committee, I believe it was called back then, uh, decided it would cost too much money to ship him and you know all a dozen of his players or so out to California, so he was not allowed to do that. And then when he did ask for a $750 raise, they uh, turned it down because they didn't want to emphasize athletics too much at the university and thought that would be uh, going overboard, so times have changed. And he left... Uh, Nebraska, you know, for Indiana, you know, at that point. So we had the Rose Bowl, and then uh, he left us to Indiana, and we have not won a Big Ten title ever since then. So we definitely need to break that curse. So uh, let's uh, let's work on this university and get some sort of recognition for uh, Coach Steam, one of our finest coaches, and uh, Honk, you'll get the name right next week. So (laughs) no, that's right, that's right. (laughs) No, you won't. That is interesting, though, that we turned down a Rose Bowl bid. We did. I mean, that honestly could have changed the entire. trajectory of nebraska football i mean they're very good even after jumbo left but we didn't get to a bowl until 41 right yes so, correct um yeah, well, yeah it would have been interesting to see what that would have done history wise and i don't know yeah because we were we'd made a lot of overtures to try to get in the you know the big 10 back then and we kept getting turned down but 
we might have been in the Big Ten. Who knows at that point if you got a Rose yep. Bowl behind you and you know a successful coaching career like that, and Steve might stick around. And who knows? Yeah, all everything could have been different. Yeah. Well, we, we'll never know. But um, it's a good follow to follow Jumbo on Twitter. So, all right, guys, let's get out of here. Great show. Uh, look forward to the uh, the uh, crossover next week, and we'll go from there. Let's call that a Go Big Redcast. Beat Michigan State.